Hey, I made it into your consciousness. How amazing and metaphysical is that? My name is Jordan. Welcome to episode 40 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. Uh, We're excited to have you join us today, in part because of our guest is our good friend, Jeff Blake. Uh, We all met Jeff Blake uh, probably over a decade ago as musicians. Uh, He still performs as a bass player, Uh, but his day today is now as co-founder and executive director of Mission Fit. And Mission Fit is a nonprofit organization and Baltimore gym and community that offers fit classes and mentorship with Baltimore City's youth for free. It's a really incredible organization and I'm very lucky that it's located just a few blocks from where I live uh, so I get to see Jeff very often. He's one of my very dear friends. Uh, he digs into his entire story uh, and it's it's heavy and it's very inspiring. Uh, Jeff shares about uh, losing his father as a teenager uh, and subsequent drug use for many years and how he kind of turned all of that around to not only having a successful music career, but also a, a successful career doing this mission fit thing and all that it entails. And even more so than a career, just the, the quality uh, of life and experiences that he has had and is continuing to grow. Uh, it's, as I said, very inspiring. I think you will gain a lot from it. Uh, just having him as my friend, uh, I am that much better uh, as a person for it as well. So I'm going to take this opportunity to both thank you, Jeff, personally for doing episode 40, but also being a, a great person in my life. Very quickly, episode 40 is sponsored by Rode Microphones. Uh, I am recording this intro right now uh, before I record, uh, not record, before I uh, teach some drumming guitar lessons. Uh, So I'm using the NT-USB microphone. It's very simple. I just plug it in directly to my laptop. Uh, But when Jeff came over for episode 40 this past week and we had the conversation together, we all used the Procaster microphones. So whether you want to record audio for a podcast or it's some music project uh, or whatever it may be, they have microphones that hook directly to your phone. Uh, R-O-D-E.com, Rode Microphones, uh, they will hook you up and they will do it professionally and with a smile. Uh, Also, The Facebook group, it has been really, really great and engaging this past week. Hey, we actually had a content strategy. Uh, We took all seven questions that Matt, Justin, and I uh, answered and discussed from episode 39, and we've been throwing out one each day in the Facebook group, and uh, it's been very, very cool to uh, to hear everybody's answers. Uh, the threads are still up. They're not going anywhere, so if this is the first time you are hearing about it, uh, head over to facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. Uh, ask to be included. We will accept you, and uh Kind of find those those threads and uh, and engage with us and everyone else in the group. It's been a lot of fun. We are over fifteen hundred members, and uh, that means a lot to us. And we want to keep it growing as well. So come on in. We invite you. Uh, I think that's it. Everything else will hit at the outro of this episode. Uh, as you can maybe tell, I'm getting over a cold. When we recorded episode forty a few days ago, I was like fucking knee deep in it. I actually had a like run away uh, multiple times and hide myself in the closet trying to like blow my nose and not ruin this episode. Uh, and it's been rough, but it's like like negative five Fahrenheit as a wind chill like all week. It's it's crazy in Baltimore, uh, but. Uh, I don't know. 
Um, it sounds like I'm complaining, but I'm not. Life is good because we've made 40 episodes of the Chocolate Croissants podcast, in large part due to people like you who have been listening every week. So much love. And with that, I take you to episode 40 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast with Jeff Blake of Mission Fit. So, Jeff, I thought you were also the co-founder of Mission Fit. It's true. I am. But you left that out on your voicemail. I did leave that out. Yeah, I didn't want to have uh, too big of a head on my, uh, on my voicemail. I wanted to leave enough room for other people to talk. But you have enough of a head to say that you wanted that to be included for this episode description. That is true. That is true. I do like titles. But he gets to talk a lot here. In fact, I hope he talks more than all of us. I'll do my best. Hey guys, welcome to episode 40 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. My name is Jordan. I am still sick. I'm actually more sick than I was last week, uh, but I still have the jingle bells, so uh, all is well. Where's your apple cider? Uh, I've got like maybe two shots left of it. I'll, I'll, I'll save that for this evening. Did you try garlic at all? Eating, eating like raw garlic? No. It works wonders. Okay, can you get me some, please? Um, shit, I wish I had known. But yeah, I can. If you don't have any, um, that works wonders. Okay, let's try it. Oh, Jeff, you already know the finger technique. I pick up on things. So uh, also oregano oil, which tastes horrible, similar yeah. to garlic. I don't know if you've ever just chomped on some garlic, but it's, it's strong. It but works. It's one of those antiviral... Antifungal, antimicrobial, anti everything bad things. And you can get it at your local GNC, but it's I think it's called oil of oregano, they call it. And it's like a little dabber and you put it under your tongue and it's ugh, tastes horrible. But when you, have you been to a GNC, Matt? Um the last time I was there was to pick up oil of oregano for my girlfriend when she was really sick. Wow. Yeah. Justin's here too. Hi guys. And, uh, I'm curious, is the oil of oregano, is that, uh, could you just put some oil in some oregano? What um, is it, Matt? You know, Jeff? I, you're the nutritionist. It is Doesn't so, mean I'm supposed to know about oils it is of so oregano. concentrated. You wouldn't possibly want to, it, it's, it's like really strong. I don't think uh, just oregano in oil would do it. But speaking of oils, Jeff and I actually have a, uh, a membership to an oil, essential oil. We do. Company. Which we haven't really used. Speak for yourself, my friend. Have you been using it? All over my body. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean? Do you guys, do, do you have like monthly we, deliveries? We had an oil party at Jeff's house. Did I become a dealer that night? <laughs> doTERRA. 
Doterra. And Jordan was there, and I was there. Jeffrey yeah. was there, a few others. And Jeff and I went in together mm-hmm. and got a membership subscription to oil purchasing. Yeah. Our friend Maddie's the dealer. Jeff, you were just like the the one you got your hands dirty to, you know, actually do I'm the trade off. Is it is it the essential oils that you bathe with, or is it the kind that like um, come like the air thing? You know what I'm talking about? I've got the diffusers. Diffusers. Excuse me. Yeah, I just put a few drops of Jordan's lemon in uh, my lemon ginger tea, and it's really good. Yeah, and I put some smell this mat in my tea this morning, like clove oil. It's really good. Wow, that tea smells like um, like like dish soap, pine (laughs) saw. Yeah, right. But I mean, lemon salt. If it tastes good, but I feel, I feel like I'm Jeff. You're not sick, right? Nope. But Matt and Jordan, you guys are a little under the weather. I am out of the woods. Oh, nice. that's garlic cloves. Um, I ate some garlic. Uh, I I did actually take a couple dabs of dabs. oil of oregano. Yeah, I did that. A couple squirts, and I've gotten sleep, and I worked out. A bit, and I feel way better now that I've sweat. Jordan, have you worked out at all? Because that might help too. No, I have not. I uh, I laid on my couch. I watched like 13 episodes of Fuller House season three and uh, Monday Night Raw. Do you, uh, do you have Netflix? I have uh, Carly's login to Netflix, so yes. <laughs> so I've been recently, I've been watching this new <laughs> series called Dark. Have any of you guys heard about it or checked it out? I no. haven't checked it out yet, but I want to. It's it's awesome. Uh, I'm I'm on the sixth episode, and so it's it's overdubbed in English, but it's a it's a German miniseries, and it's similar in a way to Stranger Things, with like the um, the ideas of True Detective season one tied into it in terms of like time and how the universe works with repeating itself every. So many years. Are you familiar with that at all? No. Like the idea that time is a flat circle. Okay. Well, uh, I recommend it to a lot to anybody listening. And I'm, anybody who is listening to this and is in our Facebook group, if you have seen Dark, please don't post any spoilers. But if you haven't, watch it. Have uh, you guys seen any good documentaries on Facebook or Facebook Netflix lately? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that popped me, man. I don't know why. Gotcha. And then the mic just started going crazy. <clears throat> I've heard The Keepers is really good, but yet... That's local, right? Yeah, and really dark. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan of it. Oh, yeah, I've, a bunch of people have recommended that me to me. I haven't seen it yet, but I will. I started it, and then I wasn't... I, I don't think I was paying full attention when I started it, and I kind of... I don't know. I, just, I didn't stick with it, but I've heard from a lot of people that it's quite gripping. Yeah. I recently watched Bigger, Stronger, Faster for the first time. Love it. Um, and I thought about Jordan a lot because of the pro wrestling tie-in. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. You'd love it. Yeah. Yeah, you'd love it. You know what I loved? What? Jeff and I, on uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, watched the two new Dave Chappelle stand-up specials They're on great. Netflix. He killed it. Yeah. Yeah, another level, man. Carly and I yeah. watched them last night, and... Um, I thought the the one from DC, right? There was one from DC and then one in Hollywood. LA, yeah. Right? Like that. The the one in Hollywood was so laid back. And I had heard about that on uh on the Joe Rogan experience because I think Joe said he was there. And it was like 
ridiculously intimate 200 people, but I didn't think that he, like his, his ashtray was on someone else's table in front of him. Yeah. Uh, I just you guys see he that? Using the, just the stage. I, yeah. fe- I feel like that wasn't there an ashtray right I think he was like, really close to them. So yeah, he had like his feet crossed right uh, yeah. in like in the people. Jordan, Matt, have you seen Jordan these? noticed that too. I haven't seen them. I've heard great things. I've heard one was funnier than the other. Yeah. What do you think, Jordan? First um, one funnier? The second one stuck with me more just because of the narrative and how he ended it. That's and the intimate one? Yes. Yeah. And he just the way he uses the format of comedy as as an art form and now more longer form storytelling like i can see him setting up a longer story arc throughout you know the the foreseeable future of his career amongst probably multiple you know stand-up specials he's just he, he i really think he's a genius yeah he's taken heat for those though in a way that i think people probably didn't listen to him say i don't say it because it's true i say it because it, it's funny so he says that in the very beginning, and everybody's laughing until it's about them or whatever it may be. And I think it's easy for people to assume as well that a lot of these things are maybe his personal opinions or sure. points of view, but in many ways, and he explains, he's just like, he's just kind of jamming with information. So like, as we all need to do, kind of talk things out either within ourselves or amongst each other to kind of figure out where we stand on you know, different circumstances and, and just just different aspects of life. And I think he is someone who has the courage to uh, to say things that people are thinking, whether they believe it or not, but that just it's thoughts that people have. And in many ways, that's what musicians used to be. You know, musicians used to, to change culture. Like Vietnam became very unpopular because in large part due to musicians and now it seems like comedians and someone like Dave Chappelle is more speaking truth to power and uh, influencing culture. Yeah, there's a few that, that really are doing that. Some in more tongue-in-cheek fun ways. Like I think Larry David does that on Curb Your Enthusiasm. He says what everybody else wants to say in social situations. But it's kind of lighthearted. You know? Whereas I think what Louis C.K. talks about and what Dave Chappelle talks about can be a little bit more serious. Or even yeah. like a John Oliver. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean... He's, he's killing it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. people Loving like him and, you know, John Stewart and Stephen Colbert, in, in many ways, they, you know, shaped people our ages uh, kind of worldview and just, like, gave us political consciousness in many ways. Do you guys have a favorite comedian? And this should be a question for the Facebook group for a thread where people can post a video clip of their favorite comedian's, you know, short little skit or... Or uh, stand-up episode. Dave Chappelle is is high on my list, but then there's one guy who is uh, a little bit smaller. His name's Pete Corielli, and Pete Corielli actually made fun of me relentlessly at a comedy show once, and I was crying, and my friends were crying, and yeah. Jordan once was made fun of by by Zach Galifianakis. Zach Galifianakis. I had a lip ring, and he called me Blink One Eighty Three. Which I did not find funny, but everyone else seemed to think right. so. Right. So which do you think hilarious. was worse? A, you, your, what oh, happened to you? So mine, so is when I had a, a blonde mohawk and he was, he was like, look at you. You're like a My Little Pony. You're like Trigger. <laughs> so he called me Trigger the whole show and he just kept coming back to me. And I found nothing not funny about it. But if, 
I was somebody else and my feelings might have been hurt. I was crying like a lot, That's laughing so awesome. Hard. Yeah. I would love to be made fun of the whole time for the a comedy whole show because it's like then you're part of it. Yeah. Well, Justin and I once came on stage with our dad for a Pauly Shore show. Yeah, really? Who tripped up this? Someone tripped up the stairs, broke a piece of the wood. Was that one of us? Someone I don't else? remember. It was it was this awkward thing, and there was like we were teenagers, and there were two attractive women that I guess were in their twenties, and I don't even remember what the thing was, but he just kind of tried to make it awkward. Wow. I really just remember of that show. It was it was like this new thing to have cell phones. Mm. And somebody's cell phone started to ring in the middle of the show. And he he like asked I probably sure asked for the phone and started to talk to the person. So then subsequently everybody pulled out their phone and started calling someone and we called the Brian who had played guitar for us a million, you know, and for like 10 years in yeah. bands. Yeah. And he was always a funny guy. And I think he had Polly Shore laughing because he was doing the uh, the goofy movie Leaning Tower of Cheesa. I do remember, remember that? that. No, the Leaning Tower of Cheesa. You know, it was great. You never saw a goofy movie, yeah, man. You got to see. Goofy I have movie. seen it. I just don't remember it that well. It's a couple years ago. So, Jeff, where does your story begin? Ooh, I don't. Yeah, maybe it begins in England, where I was born. Does it begin so, there? Yeah, yeah. it's facets. your story, man. Yeah, no, I guess. Belongs in England, then. That's that's where I started. That's my roots. And then the next place next that we need to go to is where. So we go England, Jordan's born living room, nothing in between. <laughs> well, where in England were you born? Uh, Harrogate, which is northeast. Okay. Yeah. Um. Why? Why there? Uh, my dad was in. Uh, he was an engineer for the British Navy at the time, and uh, or excuse me, British Air Force. And he did that after serving in the U.S. Air Force. And so, where was he born and raised? He uh, East Coast bounced around a lot. His parents were pilots, so he lived that kind of bouncing around life. And then I was born in England, uh, a place called Manwith Hill, and uh, right off of an air base. And we were there because my English family's huge, and my American family is not so huge. So they went for the support. But then years later, he got offered more money to be here. So then we moved. Back to America. Where did you settle when you moved back to America? Sykesville. Okay. An exotic land called Sykesville. Sykesville. Yeah. But you were in obviously in Maryland, and yeah. you've been here predominantly bouncing around. Yeah, a little bit of uh, Southern PA, but just bouncing around ever since. Yep. Where were you in York or where? I was in Fawn Grove, Pennsylvania. Okay. Which is, as as we figure out what parts of my story we'll tell, it's a very good place to be a recovering drug addict because there's okay. no drugs there. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Wow. It's nothing but deer and gravel roads, more deer, cows, and fences. That sounds and lovely. Music. Sounds lovely. I love you. Yeah, it was good. It was there's really good, good chocolate milk at all the convenience stores there, Every too. Every single one of them, yeah. But Rudders? Rudders, yeah, man. Rudders. Rudders, Rudders is what's wow. up. Wow, yeah. I saw a Rudders truck go past like where I'm sitting right now on a... Uh, on the street, like not too long ago, and that was your first truck hijacking. I'm so sick right now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Stop complaining about it. At least you're oh, still man. bringing. You'll your feel A-game. better if you say that you're not sick and you're getting better. But all right, I'm let's a, try that. I'm a hypocrite because I was sick that. as fuck last week. <laughs> you look better already. Thanks, man. Of course. How do you feel? How do you feel, Jordan? I feel so good right now. <laughs> I feel so good. You know, you look great. You got thanks. color in your cheeks. 
Yeah. I feel honestly like I feel a bit more energy like rising up from my knees up to my chest area right now. So nice. it's you know it's flowing as very they palpable. Say. Yeah, there that's you go. good. It's burling up. Yes. So Jeff, the first time we met, yeah, uh, burling up. Yeah, you know, boiling, boiling, burling, same thing. <laughs> the coat, no, the coat it's not. factory. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So Jeff, the first yes. time we met, as we bounce around uh, from the. Uh, the story points of your life. Sure. Uh, we were all playing in bands together. We were. And uh, do you remember the first time we met? I don't. I'm trying to figure that out as well. I remember us talking in D.C. Because we were, it was one of the shows where, where we didn't, oh my God, that's a good memory. Right. It's, it's one of those shows where we weren't in our home territory and we were all just staring at everybody like, We uh, took this like awkward... Not elevator, there was like a but there was a lift, pulley. like a freight lift yeah. to like a fifth floor. I of remember an that. awkward that's not, venue. That's not the first time. No, I, of course but that not. Was it's a my first show memory that your band, like I guess, helped us get on. Nice. And it was one of the worst shows we've ever played. <laughs> it was weird for yeah. so many reasons. Yeah. So personally, publicly, <laughs> thank you for that. You're quite welcome. I think yeah. I met you the first time at the record theater, and I remember sure. just bright blonde curly hair. All the hair. Yeah. Yeah. It was so much hair. Yeah. That's My little what I pony. Recall. That's right. But no, it wasn't a mohawk. It, it was, was just long. It was long and, and curly and blonde. Yes. And, Moppy. Yeah. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it was definitely a, a memorable thing. It was a calling card. It was like my brand because I'm, uh, I'm, we'll call me medium handsome, not exceptional, just okay. But with that hair... I'd say you're above average. Yeah, we'll, and we'll let agreed. the Facebook decide. Okay. Yeah, Hot we'll or not, throw, yeah. <laughs> Jeff Blake. Like, I'll get some I think he's a good looking fix. chef. Yeah, I, I, would, say, I would say so oh, Let's too. do a one to ten. Jordan? I mean, I, like, I, okay. <laughs> I gave you like an 8.9. We right. Were, a yeah. strong, that's a strong B plus. Matthew? I think depending on who looks at him, they would choose anywhere between an 8 to a 10. Somewhere wow. in that room. I'd agree. I think that you are was... objectively a handsome, attractive human being. Yeah, I would give oh, a strong 9.2, but then when you get to know the guy, he's just off the charts. That's okay. true, right? I'm a, I'm a <clears throat> 6.8 with a lot of confidence, but I appreciate it, guys. Good friend, bass player, <laughs> great-looking great okay. guy. <laughs> so, so let's go back. Let's find some points in this story. So we have no idea where we all officially first met each other. When did you find music? That's a good question. Um, my first memory of the bass guitar was my dad was, after being an engineer, he decided he did not love doing that, so he became a drug counselor and a therapist. And one of the people he was giving therapy to had to go to jail. So his 8 by 10 or maybe 215, I didn't know the difference, went into our basement. Speaker and, cabinets, guys. Exactly, speaker cabinets. I was upstairs playing G.I. Joe's with my best friend Jay, and all of a sudden the house started shaking. And I was like, this is awesome. And he was just hitting just low E notes downstairs. So what my age first was this? memory, probably seven or eight. Okay. And I just thought it was awesome. And then when I was just friends with a couple of guys who already played music, one played guitar, one played drums. So, of course... I just had to play bass. I didn't have much choice. And I loved it. Just absolutely loved it. Did you have a musical household? Did you, were your parents always playing music growing up? Was it something that you were like, I'm very interested in this, but yeah. you weren't sure where to start? Yeah, lots of... It, it, I only remember three things. Beatles, Elton John, and classical music. Just nonstop. And that That's was nice. probably because that was my mom's music in like the daytime. My dad listened to a lot more jazz and country and, and funk and stuff like that. 
Was there always music playing though? Always. That's very cool. Always. So what are your parents? What I mean, what are your parents like going from living in England to living in the states? Yeah. What kind of? Because obviously you bounced around. I would imagine you went to different schools. Right. So what was their role so when you were very young? Stability at first, and then things got a little unstable. So my mom's amazing. She's like Mother Teresa, like Mumsy. Mumsy, exactly. I call her Mumsy. She drives people around for chemo appointments. She's retired now. She takes one young, young lady. She lives in Chesapeake Beach, which Jordan always remembers has a water park, and she drives like an hour and a half to take a girl to dance lessons in Baltimore and then drives back again. So she's like absolutely amazing and, and was always there. Um, my dad was a bit of an addict, but always there and extremely kind. Like he suffered, you know, his own addictions as well as trying to help other people. So he was struggling with uh, alcoholism some of the time and he passed away when I was younger. So Got it. that's when stability left. But y- did you say your dad was a counselor? He was, yeah. But he was living it as well. He was living it, yeah. Did he have his own counselor helping him? Yep. Like a yep. sponsor and of AA sorts? sponsors, right. everything like that. So was he kind of yo-yoing with it up and down? Sometimes it, he'd be clean for, for a sin yeah, and then he would go back yeah. to it? And, it? and when it was controlled, it was very controlled. And the, the out-of-control parts didn't last that long, but he was very absentee when that happened. He just wasn't around. He wasn't bad. He didn't hit my mom. He didn't yell at her. He didn't do anything mean to me. He just wasn't there. And the people that he was working with, did they, did they know or was it closeted from them? You know, I'm not quite sure. I know that every single person that's given me any of account of my dad has said he's the most amazing person they've ever met. So That's great. Yeah. Well, I wonder if, um, and maybe he had this conversation with you at some point, but I wonder if his absenteeism was purposeful as to not do it around you. That's interesting. I, I hadn't thought of that. We never did have that conversation. He, uh, I was... 13 when he passed away so we didn't have and it was two years of him having a brain tumor so from like 11 to 13 it wasn't the dad that I always had right so after the I mean how, I guess this is a deep topic but how did that affect you going forward and was that did that take place in the states yeah it did yeah so we were in Sykesville and I was in middle school and it, affa- it affected me deeply like it, it I'm not I'm not gonna say it destroyed my life from that point for many many years i just attempted to destroy my own life like being very uh very unkind to myself right with both fighting and alcohol drugs stuff like that can you make sense of that now like what it was it's just in not, the pain or not the- not being able to process it not being equipped with the the tools to deal with something like that was there someone there, maybe your mom or friends, other family? Because now you, you said your family was much bigger across the pond, but then coming right. here, did you have a support system or did you feel like you were on your own dealing with all of this new uncertainty? Felt pretty alone. Like uh, family came rushing out. And my mom said, and this is, for any, this is good usable life advice. So my mom said that when tragedy strikes, which right before... Uh, my dad, ha- we realized he was going to pass away from his brain tumor. Our house got struck by lightning. <laughs> it's kind of bad timing. And uh, everybody comes running out of the woodwork when something like that happens, right? But then they go almost just as fast. And she says, it almost makes things worse. Almost like if you were giving aid to a foreign company, and you're, or foreign company, foreign country, 
and then you leave in a week and you haven't really fixed anything. You haven't helped with the infrastructure. So she didn't have much help. And uh, some of my dad's friends did help and were definitely role models to me in that hard time. So how, so did you begin, I guess, using drugs around that time? Yeah. By the, I was, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with these things now. It's kind of giggle worthy, but between the uh, seventh and eighth grade year, I had already smoked crack by that time in Sykesville, which is so bizarre. Like I fell into this perfect storm where I just met the wrong right people. Like I were they older? Some and some were the same age. Yeah, and some were like we would go down to the to the city and stuff like that to get drugs because they could drive and I couldn't. But I was just always game for it because I'm highly impulsive and like to live on the edge a little bit. So it was uh. the perfect recipe for not so good. In that same friend group, like I do what I do now, um, I've got uh, a couple friends who very much turned themselves around, but some are dead. One's an international bank robber, <laughs> for real. Uh, do you still have contact or you just know this? I know his mother because she still talks to Mumsy. Okay. But I, I don't have contact with them anymore. And then there's also a murderer in that group as well, in my middle school friend group. Wow. Yeah. Where was Mumsy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just Matt's stuff. digesting everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. This is crazy, right? It's, it's a lot to take in. Yeah. It is what it is. I feel like I've, I've heard not all of these stories, but I've heard, of the, I've heard a lot of the fighting stories and some of the drug usage stories. Uh, where, where was Mumsy in, in all of this and... Were you good at hiding all of this from your mom? Oh, I'm so good. <laughs> so one of the bad traits of being an addict is that you can basically fool anybody into thinking it's okay or that you're not up to anything. So if you're a good one, you don't get in a lot of trouble, which is very bad. So my mom was as much as she could be around the house, but at that point now she's a single mom. I remember when she was just inventorying everything from our house burning down while taking care of my dad, I was like, wow, I'm just basically unsupervised. Not because she didn't want to be there to do it, but she just had a lot to do. And she physically couldn't be there. Right, yeah. She had work still. She still had to put money on, you know, in the bank, food on the table. You have the wherewithal to survive, though, somehow. Yeah. And what is that in your mind? Um, at first, I think it was a slightly hedonistic drive. Like, why should this... This, uh, this journey stopped. I'm having so much fun in the process. And then you just realize you're not happy at all. You're the exact opposite of happy, and you're just using drugs and unhealthy relationships to mask it. So it took a while to actually get reflective and just admit that I wasn't happy. How did you do in school during all of this? Terrible. So that's another, you know, as we talk about I, the, the, the facets of me, like I have things that I think were hang-ups that I've gotten over to make me stronger. And the thing that I had an issue with when I was younger is I was in, uh, what's it called, extended enrichment programs and gifted and talented and all these different things where they're like, you're a smart kid. And that was in elementary school and the middle school, like just taking you know foreign languages in middle school and everything when other kids were doing it in high school. And then I get to high school when it's just more memorization and I've already got a really big chip on my shoulder, and I don't just memorize and test take well. So then I just shot to the exact other direction, and I did terrible. Like, I barely passed. So at that point in your life, then, if you really weren't engaged in school, 
and uh, it seems like drugs and just negative influences in the forms of people are kind of a part of your world. Did you have any vision for your future? No. No, I actually could completely imagine dying and I was okay with it. Like I started after high school, I started to see that happening to not a ton of people, but a couple other people. And I was like, yep, that's the direction I'm going in. Okay. I was okay with it, which is sad, incredibly sad. Would you consider that a point of rock bottom? Or, did, or no, was there... It, it got it got worse. <laughs> so after being okay with it, then I struggled with it. I think rock bottom was when I didn't have a job. I, I couldn't just be gainfully employed at the level of uh, addiction that I had. And I went to take a... I went, I think it was to Hopkins, or one of these places. But anyway, uh, the memory's blurry, as you can guess. I went to take a test to see if I could... Um, be a part of a drug survey, like you know, you saw it in the city paper. Are you a heroin user? I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I have, I have my use. calling. I've got purpose. So I go in to do it, and we get through all, like the whole test, like however many pages and all this talking. And then they said, all right, are you allergic to any medicines? And I'm like, I'm allergic to aspirin. They're like, we're sorry, Mr. Blake, you can't do it. And I was like, gonna get a hundred bucks for it or whatever, seventy five dollars. And I was like. I think I need to kill myself. <laughs> I can't even do a survey, uh, you know, a study on being a heroin addict to make money. I can't do anything. That was like rock bottom. <laughs> right. And did you actually have serious thoughts or movements towards suicide at that point? More, more so just using enough that maybe it could have happened. Right. But not. That's good. Not anything like and that. And what age was that? That was probably early 20s, if I had to guess. Yeah. Where'd you go to high school? Liberty High. Okay. Yep. And then at what point in your early 20s, I would imagine, did you, well, maybe not, but when did you finally say, all right, I got to get some help. I yeah. need to make a change. Uh, it was actually cold turkey. It was uh, it, one of the strongest things I've ever, I, I may ever do, but it was a pretty powerful feeling that did it. So I was in a... A, a condo in Columbia, a really nice one that my ex's mom at the time was letting us rent. Rent basically meant just squat there and not pay anything. It started as rental and then just went downhill from there. And uh, I was on a futon that was terribly uncomfortable looking up at the clouds. And I just thought to myself, like, what would my dad think if he could see me right now? And I just imagined my dad crying. And that was too much. That was really hard and that was that was the end that's when I stopped that second like the decision was made and that was the first time you thought about that particular scenario like thinking about what would my dad think yeah I had never thought about that because I just kind of shut those feelings out and that feeling was just so powerful and I knew he would be sad and that hurt (laughs) that hurt that hurt worse than anything else that I was doing to myself so what was the first step out First step was... So you have this realization, you realize, okay, my dad would not be proud or he would be super sad of the person i become. Yeah. Then what do you do? Then I tell my at-the-time girlfriend that I'm going to quit. And she laughs in my face. And I stay. And I actually stayed hanging out in that, uh, that computer room with the uncomfortable futon while her and other friends did drugs in the other room. And I started to withdraw and went through just... Some of the worst physical, just, I didn't think I was going to die, 
but I was like, I'm really paying for it right now. I don't even know how many hours or possibly even days. I'm not even quite sure from that point, like how long I was in that room. So did you have any support through that? No, not at all. Um, we've heard talking to some other people. I think Daniel talked about it a bit. Um, and I don't know if it was on the podcast, but I've had a few conversations with people who have gone through withdrawal and they say it is the absolute worst <laughs> it's, thing yeah. you can ever experience. It was actually, you know what? It was on, it was on this last tour. Um, I was talking to a friend of the band who is, I think now like 18 years sober or something like that, right. but he's turning 40, but he went through brutal withdrawal. And he, and he talks about similar things, like just not knowing how many hours, how many days it, it no took. One, but yeah. um, can, you, can you describe anything from that? Like what it is like? Is it, I mean, I'm sure you go through every single possible sickness. You go, yeah, it's, it's just sheer mental anguish and physical pain, throwing up or dry heaving. I'll say it, whatever. I'm pretty sure I might have shit myself. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, sure. it was the lo- that's the lower moment, like the absolute, like most embarrassing, terrible rock bottom. Like I just couldn't even, I could barely move. I didn't even know what was really going on. Right, and I'm sure, obviously, it really depends on what you're hooked on and what you're coming off of yeah. or coming down from. But you also have to be aware that certain substances you may be addicted to, you can't go cold turkey. Is, you know, sure. there, there are certain drugs you can get off of, but there are others you, you have to wean yourself off of or you have to go to the hospital to get off of because right. you, could, you could die. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and that, that's a stark reality. Because sometimes you, you want to go headstrong and say, fuck it, this is it. Yeah. I've had enough. I can't do anymore. But you can't just say when. The drug almost has to tell you, well, I still have the grips on you until you're okay to actually let go. And Jordan and I, we, we've, we've experienced it with family members who've gone through withdrawal from, from some of these substances. And it's even it's six months and 12 months and 18 months later, you're still feeling the effects of it. Yeah. Yeah. My, my, I, I have a family member who's still on a specific drug, um, takes it daily because he needs it to sort of keep him at bay. Um, but I was going to say one thing. Throughout the whole process it would have been really easy for you to just walk into the other room oh, and, yeah. and say, I can't take this anymore to fucking make me feel better. Yeah. Was it continuing to think about your dad that kept you in the, the, the what, computer yeah, room? 100%. Like I just couldn't, from that point on, I did this, the feeling was too strong. Like I'd made the decision. Like it wasn't going back. I heard from, you know, it's funny. I was, I was, I was talking to Natalie's, father the other day and he was telling us that when all of his kids were younger um he you know they didn't they weren't like super strict with their kids but all he would say is before you make any decision think of my face yeah that's a good one <laughs> and i'm serious and he, and he, he said think of my face and would think, he say it that calmly or would he be like threatening no no he said it that calmly he was just like before you make any decision in life you know, any bad decision or good decision, think of my face and think of how it would affect me. And that should help guide you in the right direction. And um, in talking to all the kids, you know, who are now obviously, they're, you know, grown up, they're like, we still think that. We we still absolutely make our decisions based off of that statement. And um, that kind of sentiment seems very powerful regarding your story. It's a strong steering wheel. 
We were we were all talking before this podcast uh, about the about Terry Crews yeah. on um, on Tim Ferriss in front of a live audience, and I think part of that was he talked about that shame, and mm-hmm. I think that's what you would experience if you're if you're thinking about what would my parents think of me doing this in this moment, and if if they're ashamed of you. He he said Terry Crews said it really well of like that's that's the worst. It is. You you do but not want to feel that I'll way. Tell you what though, the shame didn't bother me because that would be a, if somebody was ashamed of me, that'd be something that I felt. The feeling that got me out was the fact that my dad would be sad. Right. Like making my dad sad was way worse than him being ashamed of me because the shame would reflect back on me. But it was just he would just be sad. What what about your mom in this scenario? Because I mean, was she hands on with you, or did she know what was no, going no. on? No, she. I mean, I tried to hide myself from her as much as I could. We didn't have a very good relationship until years after that. Got like it. Years and years after that, she tried. Though. She was as supportive as she could be, but like, what do you do with somebody who's always lying to you? Were yeah. you playing in a band at this time? I was. Yeah. Yeah. But not the hint. Not the hint, and not I Love You. I Love You is actually how I got out of drugs in that same computer room, actually. I, uh, Tell I, us that. You started I, a band? No, I looked on the forum and, you know, a Which music forum? forum. I have no idea, but okay. you know, a, a lot of things are hazy. Um, this is yeah, how many years ago? A million. Okay. Yeah, at least probably 15, if I had to guess. I'm not, I'm terrible with time. And how old are you, like Jeff? 38. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But I'm. This is early absolutely. early twenties, mid twenties, mid twenties, mid twenties. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's before I'd met you guys, but yeah, I looked at at forums to find a band that needed the bass player, and I found those guys. And then I said, "Look, I can play, but I'm in a really bad situation." And the singer, uh, who lived in Fawn Grove, Pennsylvania, is like, "Yeah, just come live in my basement." I'm like, "Game on." And you'd never met? No. No, he's a super awesome guy. So is his family. Wow. Yeah. So you show up with what? What did you have with you? Did you have stuff? Did you have clothes, bass? Not a ton of clothes. I had a bass guitar. I'll just tell you an SW Triad cabinet and an old Fender head. SWR stuff, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. And did you, when you left, I imagine you broke up with your girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And left your other friends. How did you deal with those scenarios on top of going cold turkey that was tough. You guys know the the crabs in a bucket, you know, uh, the, you know, pull that, each other down. Exactly. They right. pull you right back into the bucket. So at first I just cut everybody out 100%. Like that's just what I had to do except for a couple best friends. Some got out before me. Like they got into a healthy lifestyle before I did. So those were ones I could trust and reach out to. And the others I just had to say goodbye to and uh it it was just immersing myself like as an addict with an addictive personality and being very impulsive, I just had to immerse myself into music and then I didn't think about drugs or old friends or anything. Got it. Now Got we'll it. get into Mission Fit and what that is and what you do with it, but was just athletics in general part of your life mm, at this point? At certain points. Not, not then. It had been when I was younger. Uh, and it, that, in the drug days, I yeah, didn't wasn't strong enough to pick up anything. So, yeah, I wasn't going to. But now with this band, you were in more socially a more positive environment. Yeah. You were now able to express yourself in, in more positive ways. I yeah. mean, did you have any self-expression prior to that? 
I don't think so. I think it was all internal. Like I think a lot. I, I just I still do. Uh, it becomes overwhelming sometimes. But I would just be there, just still with my thoughts and not talk to anybody about them. But then I did have people to talk to and a way to get out. Yeah, a lot of energy, which felt amazing. And then the band become your primary focus. One hundred percent. Yeah, we worked with the singer's dad uh, doing tree work, cutting down trees. Um, and I really do enjoy physical work, and I was healthy at that point, so it was just a lot of fun doing that. So did they? Did the the family know everything that you were dealing with and had just been previously yeah. dealing with? Yep. They and were, so they became family. Yeah, became right? family right away. I still love them. Wow, They're awesome. Yeah. And then, how long did you play in bands for? So I mean, from then until now, besides the the, the break of the the hint not playing, like I just. Played. But it seemed like, I mean, now you kind of, you'll gig. Right. But with the hint, I mean, you guys, it was pretty full time. Yeah, it was full time. At least that so, was the intention. I Love You was pretty full time with us just doing our side gigs to make money. Uh, after that, Joe, let's see. Yeah, the singer left, my friend. Uh, he left. He actually got uh, his own words called by God to be a man of God, and he couldn't serve both so i'd supported them in that the other band members were super just not happy about that not supportive and bitter about it but i was like yep cool do you bro you've helped me so much in my life like whatever you want to do i want you to be happy and then we were looking for a new singer which is when we met joe from the hint in a a basement somewhere in catonsville and after the rehearsal i knew i really liked him we talked about the smiths for about an hour and I was like, I love you. I don't just like you. I love you now. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's when the hint started. And For a while, we had some members in D.C. as well as Baltimore. And then it moved up more to Baltimore, which is when I met you guys. So if, one, if you want to kind of introduce <sighs> Mission Fit and what that is. But yeah. the question to preface that is that I'm curious, and I think a lot of our listeners could get value in it, is from playing in these bands, what did you learn that has now helped you be successful in these other endeavors? Yeah. Uh, main thing is just the, the, the flex of the hustle muscle. Just don't be afraid to go out there and work hard. I mean, you guys know this. We've worked many a line and, and been in studios for hours hashing out parts. Like, work hard. It was actually in music that I discovered that I wasn't a bad employee. I'd just never done anything I loved. Like, you know, I, fig- I realized, I'm like, oh, I'm a good business person. I can sell merch. I can order merch. I can, you know, do all these things. And that, for me, just opened a lot of doors. Um, well, of course, branding and being conscious of that comes into it because you are making a brand as a band and making a very strong stance of, of who you are in this creative endeavor. Uh, is It helps you find your voice better. And then when you find your voice in that way, then you can more accurately tell people what you're doing and why you're doing it. And that gets people just wanting to either support you or like your thing, or they might realize that they don't like it, and that's okay too. And before Mission Fit, you became a personal trainer. Yes, which is... So how did you start down that path? So uh, there was a bar owner, a Baltimore bar owner, Fletcher's Nightclub, which I'm I'm pretty sure I've seen all of you guys there, and you guys have seen me there. Many times. Um, so Fred Fletcher's Nightclub, the owner and uh, also bartender, he did Krav Maga, and he knew that a long time ago I used to compete in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, like right 
out of high school because it was a good semi-violent outlet, just by being honest. And uh, he knew that I did that, and he just kept on trying to get me to do Krav Maga. I was like, there's no way I'm doing that. I weigh 128 pounds, and I'm very pretty. Like, it just can't happen. And then uh, he did end up talking me into it. I tried it once. I didn't even make it the whole class. I, like, just felt like I was going to die 30 minutes in, but it was my new favorite thing in the whole wide world. And that just, it really, it didn't shut the door on music. I played uh, in the same band for a couple years after that, but it became my main thing. Like, that was what I did. At this point, though, you were not chopping wood anymore, obviously. Did you do something in between joining another band or starting this other band that then you you toured with extensively and made records with? But were you working outside of the band? Was the band still the main focus? The band was the main focus. And Krav Maga was just supplemental income to keep yourself going? Yeah. And I even told him, I was like, look, I'm touring, I'm recording in Boston in like three months. Like, you can't hire me. They're like, you can just work the desk part-time. And I'm like, right on, I'm in. So that's that's what happens. Anything um, to get by. Yeah, anything. But you I, loved it. I loved it. Yeah, I've done a lot of things where uh, there were side jobs just to allow me to really, you know, get my hustle on. And I think that's another thing. Yeah, we, I think all in this room, are a big fan of Gary Vaynerchuk. And he just says, do whatever you need to to get to where you are. Don't focus so much on where you are now. Focus on the next, I think he says like eight minutes or the next day or whatever it is and then focus on the next thing and the next thing. But play just, the long game. Yeah, play the long game. And, you know, he recommends people, you know, go onto Craigslist and all these marketplaces and find things that they can sell for more money and flip it and sell it and just have that hustle. And for me, it was just being able to put the work in really early in the morning doing labor type things or whatever it may be, just grunt work. And then at night playing the band and then, you know, hardly get any sleep and then do it again and just love the, the whole process. Yeah. I understand that a lot. We've all, we've all done that. I mean, we've all worked side jobs and had side hustles to support the main hustle. None of which have been up until recently, you being Jordan, you being in a more corporate setting. Um, all of us have been more entrepreneurial overall. Yeah. You know, or had the band be the thing that we were doing, you know? Um, of course, I kind of feel like I'm on this, uh, not that I'm in a band, obviously, but I feel like I'm a bit on that journey because I, I was having this conversation last night where it's, it's weird to have the main focus of your hustle be something that starts and stops so sporadically. And it's like, it stops mid-December and you feel like everyone goes on holiday, but then you almost feel like, okay, I've had my few weeks off. I'd ra- Personally, I'd rather be on doing instead of taking these breaks, but I still have another three weeks to start school up again so that I can get to play this long game and get to this eventual goal. And I still have about a year and a half or so left. And it it's actually, it's hard not to be on full time when you have that entrepreneurial spirit and you totally. want to be moving, yeah. moving, moving and keeping it going. But it's like what you said, it's kind of keeping it in check and just getting through the next thing and the next thing and hustling and just keeping it going so you can get to that eventual goal. Yeah, I think uh, for times like that, like there are two things that slow down like uh, progress as a trainer or as an athlete and it's either injuries or with being a trainer it's just the seasons it just happens and from doing this for 10 or 11 years now like the thing I've realized is there's sometimes to be a general and there's sometimes to be a soldier 
you're just soldiering on. You're just working, 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 putting your head down. But when you get those breaks, now it's time to be a general. Now it's time to think more. And this is something I just realized when I, when I injured myself, uh, hurt my back years ago. Um, I was like, okay, I'm going to make the best of this situation and I'm just going to you know, think about more. I'm going to think about why I hurt myself, how I can make sure that I never hurt myself again and just be a general, use your head a little bit more. So soldier on, but appreciate the breaks too. You can get some good breakthroughs. Yeah, of course. It's, it's also good of, of um, I feel like I was more keeping this internal, mm-hmm. you know, something I know you said you had a lot of experience with and it was, it was becoming toxic. It was getting very unhealthy yeah. and uh, being able to express and voice that last night it it opened a uh, it just it was like a whole new spirit this morning when I woke up I had making new you know paths of of how do you just get back on it yeah it feels good yeah I can tell I can tell you're in that mindset too just from the text that I've received from you in the past twenty four hours right I was wow. I was feeling I was I was on I was like let's get everything back on the page I'm ready to to keep moving yeah and so yeah. so yeah. you go Krav Maga starts the spirit of Maybe getting the fight back in you. Totally, yeah. And did kettlebells materialize at this time as well? They did, yeah. One of my favorite training influence, kettlebells came into my life because I just wanted to learn how to be faster, more explosive, better endurance, better grip strength, and kettlebells totally did that. Shout out to Zach Henderson. Yeah, that's right, Zach Kettlebell, Henderson. Yeah. master of the chocolate croissants Facebook group. So as two fitness professionals that Justin and Jeff, you guys are, as kettlebells now enter the mainstream of physical fitness and gym culture, is that similar to like your favorite indie band or indie wrestler kind of breaking through? Like kettlebells sold out? Yeah, or you feel like you have, like you knew it before everyone else <laughs> we, did. Like, well, Jeff, Jeff wore like, Jeff wore the shirt of the band for many years. He competed. On, on yeah. a, a national, international or national? national. On national. a national level. I mean, he was like, go out there and put the work in and have the calluses rip open while he's swinging that kettlebell. Totally. And then he was, you got awards for this. Yeah. He had, yeah. A, he had a kettlebell coach. Me, I dabbled in it because Jeff was playing with them. I would see them places and I would, I would swing the kettlebell wrong. And uh, it was definitely not my favorite indie band. I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff had it going on, but but then I saw. But even I mean, you've you've had kettlebells for years now, so I, I, wonder I enjoy if, them aesthetically. I enjoy the ones that on it makes because they they look cool. So Jeff, do you have some like elitist hipster physical fitness tendency within you? N- not at all. When when used right, like the cool thing about when Justin and I made our journey to wanting to improve other people, we want everybody to get better it's not just the people in this room like we legitimately want everybody to feel more awesome um we believe in our heart that we know some of the ways that people could so we just want to tell everybody about it now when people use them wrong it is to me so cringeworthy um and it can a be so painful. detrimental yeah and we know that i mean all you can hurt yourself doing anything any modality but in particular when i see people doing kettlebell movements wrong i'm not uh I'm not snobby about it if I feel like I'm in a position where I can approach them in an open way, not a condescending, not a way, not kind of way, not a, hey, I know what I'm doing kind of way, but a, hey, let's explore why you might be doing that and let's talk about it. If I could have a conversation with a person, I'll gladly do it. If it's somebody just 
beasting out, broing out, then keep on broing, bro. <laughs> Jeff has a kettlebell sweater, right? Do I? There's oh, like I did, one I, that goes around the kettlebell. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I do yeah. actually have a sweater that goes around the kettlebell. So that I think he's true. still ahead of the curve. Yeah, nobody's got kettlebell sweaters. Okay, so I remember you and I reconnected some, maybe it was up in, uh, uh, what's it called? Krav Maga? No, at Greenspring. Um, well, oh, the CrossFit gym I was at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Arnold Fitness. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we didn't see each other there. Maybe it was right outside. I remember I parked my car Starbucks? going to get like a bagel or yeah. was it Starbucks or, or the something. Deli? yeah. And that was when I first, when I reconnected with you and you were like, yeah, I, you know, I train uh, down at this gym and... Um, I had no idea until then that you were going down that path. I just had always known you as someone who was in bands and assumed right. that you were doing that full time still. And sure, you know. So what? When did? And maybe this is where you guys are headed too. But when did working as a trainer for someone else slowly become? I'm gonna found and begin. You know, start my own sure. fitness mission. Uh, no pun intended. Yeah. Before you answer that. Can you start with when did it switch from people knowing you as the bass player, Jeff Blake, to now knowing you as the trainer, fitness mover, Jeff Blake? That transition wasn't too hard for me because I'm an all-in type of person, so the switch wasn't too gradual. Like It was very clear that you know by social media, just talking to people, word spread that I had just become... This fitness guy, I probably was somewhat obsessed. I probably did take it as a new addiction at that time, almost 10 or 11 years ago. And it probably wasn't the healthiest thing in the beginning, but it took me through a journey of health. So I think the transition was pretty smooth and fast. And for Matt, it went from for-profit to non-profit with a book that absolutely ruined my life. It's called uh, People Over Profit by Dale Partridge. And it's just about... uh, at a minimum, a much more conscious capitalism, but it just talks about if you are chasing the money over chasing providing value to people or taking care of people, your career is going to be so short-lived. You will not be remembered. You will, you know, I don't do what I do to be remembered, but you know, when I do something kind for somebody, they remember it, and then they usually, you know, come back to me and work with me or will refer somebody to me. So my very giving nature and being like legitimately stoked about what I do made me want to give things away. I was in a very for-profit arena where they were just all about the almighty dollar and I was not. And they, not in a bad way, but they tried to motivate me with that. And do you think you can motivate a musician, you know, a passionate artist with money? Like, I don't care about that. I want to help people. It's very hard to do that. Yeah. 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 It's very hard to do that, you know, and that's a that's an interesting place to be where you obviously need to pay your bills, yeah. you need to take care of yourself, and in in that sense, um, it's very hard to go for long periods of time without any income. Yeah. So, and if you have this mindset of, well, you're not going to sway me yeah. by dangling dollar bills in front of my face, um, but also knowing that you needed to support yourself and yeah. I don't know if you were with your girlfriend at the time or if you had any dependents but I did not it was just I was flying solo right so but even so what was your what was your thought process there of finding that balance between earning income but then also really building a business that was 
nonprofit and focused sure. on the people. It actually goes back to the, the hustle muscle and my ability to just go all in on something. So I didn't actually think, what if this doesn't work or I'm going to starve or what if I lose all my clients? I just told my clients like, hey, I'm going to this other gym. It's a little bit of a mess. There still might be some tacks in the floors that we need to pull out. Like, um, I believe in this more than anything and this is what I'm going to do. If you want to make that 10 minutes extra drive to me, you are more than welcome and I'll break you a, you know, a cash deal at first just to, to make it worth your while. And I lost half my clients and didn't care one bit about it. Was any part of that going from the, the swanky, posh-like gym that you were originally at and then moving to something that wasn't as polished? Possible. I mean, I went from bougie to bare bones. Yep. And I created that bare bones place, like, you know, hands and knees, crawling, learning all the stuff that I learned in my odd jobs where I refinished the floors. Not qualified to refinish floors, but I figured it out. Got a grinder or a sander from Home Depot and got to it. It's kind of like a, a common thread we hear from a lot of people who are on a journey that they really want to be on, but aren't a hundred percent sure what they want. They just know that the end goal is to be. This is the right journey. I have to be on this path. Right. So you just whatever it is, I'll figure it out as I I'll go. Do it. it doesn't matter. Yeah. I'll do it myself, or I'll figure out, or whatever. And luckily, be. I you had a lot of friends who helped along the way. Sure. Yeah. And it wasn't like you were going at this alone. No, not at all. The great support group. Um, when I started, uh, it was Wendy, our founder, who just said, hey, Jeff, I'm thinking about starting this nonprofit gym in Baltimore. Do you want to coach one class? And to me, I just heard, like, do you want to do everything? And I was like, yes, yes, I do want to do one class, which meant I wanted to do everything because I was just, I was ready for that. And I uh, spent about a year and a half just being program director, writing all the programs, being head coach, just doing a lot of the organizational stuff while Wendy took care of the, the paperwork, the stuff that is not as fun, a lot of the grant writing, a lot of making connections, and she's really good with that. And then January of, yeah, a year ago, I became executive director, January of 2017. What are some of, the, of your favorite highlights across the journey? Yeah, there are, so it's just watching humans bloom like it's 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 seeing people become empowered because of what we we do there uh whether it's my belief in somebody's abilities or it's another coach's belief whatever it may be but like you have been fortunate enough to lift with uh one of our students janai who's like one of our original rock stars and she came in i don't think she could barely like goblet squat which description is a squat where you're holding a kettlebell in front of your body and going down low into a squat and standing back up. I don't think she could do 20 pounds when she started. And in her last powerlifting meet, I think she hit 185 or something like that for a single as a 17-year-old girl. So I think a lot of people can gather the basics of what Mission Fit has become. But if you had to explain it to someone who knew nothing about what you do, yeah, what, it, what is Mission Fit? Yeah, it's, it's pretty easy just because I'm very much steered by our mission statement, which is strengthening Baltimore's youth, educating its future coaches, and creating an inclusive, intentional community. So that sounds fancy. Strengthening Baltimore's youth just means that we have um, classes for Baltimore youth ages 11 to 24. So 24 is like the cutoff of what uh, 
government agencies usually consider youth. And these are still times where you could definitely reach somebody and be very impactful in their life. Um, with, with that part, um, are these students paying or are they nope. coming through different programs? And if so, where are they finding out about th this program? Sure. So uh, kids that we find ourselves just through a lot of word of mouth, a lot of you know hustle, like we've all done, um, grassroots organizations definitely thrive off of word of mouth. So some kids just come in as individuals. Uh, they train for free. We also have organizations that bring their kids to us. Like we have a partnership with the Baltimore Police Department, Baltimore City Police Department, and we train some of their kids as well. One of the things that we, we struggle with a bit is we are in a very central location. That sounds like that would be a good thing. But the transportation system in Baltimore is not super awesome for our kids to get around easily, so it actually makes it difficult. So if any organization can bring us kids, it's a it's a win-win because we'll, we'll train them for free and can make those good, mutually respectful relationships where it's more than just, you know, goblet squats and, and animal crawls and stuff like that. We, we finish each one of our classes with a, a gratitude circle where we circle around and say one to three things that we're thankful for or grateful for. We finish with a silent 60 or a mindful minute, as we call it, where we just sit quietly for a minute some of these kids will not get silence until the, they're in mission fit again. Like the city is a, is a loud, loud world. You know what I mean? And we have, in my opinion, we have the luxury of silence sometimes. So we just try and give them that to quiet their minds a little bit. Some of my favorite moments there has been you created a, a strength club for yeah. a lot of your peers and friends and contemporaries uh, and, and others who just want to come together under the header of getting stronger together and enjoying one another's company. But yeah. there's also the mission fit youth and teenagers and young adults that can come as well. And there have been members of that community who really just needed a safe haven, a place where they can go and just feel like they can kind of escape from their reality and come into a new reality where everything is much more relaxed. And even if they don't even lift, they're just their presence there. But the fact that you yeah. created that for them to be there that's some of my favorite moments of being at Mission Fit, just seeing that yeah. that was a possibility for someone who may have not had that. Just a safe place, a place where, again, you're going to be met by an awesome community of good people who are excited to see you. Like, how many gyms do you walk into where people are legitimately excited to see you just because you're there? Of course, yeah. And, and willing to help you. You know, and there, it's, sure. it's more than just... <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and it's, I remember a lot of times feeling like, oh, man, Coach Jeff is walking around helping everyone, but but Jeff doesn't get to join in. And then eventually it became where a lot of the members of the group would be able to help some of the, of the youth yeah. or some some people, just anyone who was in there, and you'd then be able to join, and then everyone's in it together. I and think, that's, that's always the best. I think you told me the saying, high tides raise all ships. And I've yeah. I've been using it like every day since. But yeah, you lift other people up, or you don't try and hold them down, and you lift together like you just and that's a terrible yeah. metaphor but yeah <laughs> no it works but it um, works yeah, for sure yeah totally uh ha, so through this process have you had people that are coming to you for things that you maybe didn't expect i mean beyond fitness and <laughs> excuse me mental health it seems like have you had people that have come to you and said man like i want to get out of the situation i'm in here are my dreams here are my goals here's my here's what i want to do with my life Sure. How can I get there? And even again, even if it's not through fitness. 
Yeah. Um, most of it has been through the fitness, the frame of fitness. Like it, it, it's, it's our lore, essentially. It's our, our way to get people in and then we can help them more after that. Um, I have had a couple kids, young people, tell me some pretty lofty dreams. I've also seen some dreams just be crushed by their environment, like uh, an 18-year-old who was doing our mentoring program who uh, got kicked out of his house and had to get a job and could not do the mentoring program anymore. And that was that was hard to see because he's a very promising human. And then there's like a, a middle school girl who is just it's mega strong. She walked in and picked up our our strongman log, which is an 89-pound log, and just picked it up overhead as a middle school girl. That's insane if you just can't. She would walk around during strength club and somebody would have like 200-plus pounds on a barbell, and she'd be like, <laughs> I can lift that. And like, yeah, even though this is not proper etiquette right. in the gym, but she would just walk in front of someone and pick it up. Right. She's insane. She's, and she was like 12 or 13? Yeah, 13. Um, and she wasn't really there to be doing a lot of heavy weightlifting. She was there to do more body weight exercises and things like that. But she's just so strong and loved to punch things. And uh, she really bloomed at Mission Fit. But the, the sadder thing is that her mother had another child. And then this 13-year-old, now 14-year-old, becomes essentially a surrogate mother to her mother's kid and has to take care of her. And, like, she couldn't come to the gym anymore. So we've seen people be lift up. We've seen people kind of get pulled down. And all we can do is just stay open, uh, keep reaching out, keep trying, and won't stop. Do you think you've learned some of this uh, behavior, for lack of a better word, from witnessing the things that your mom does now? I think so. I think my mom and dad just imprinted so strongly, like a, a moral compass, that even when, because you guys know me now, I'm like freaking Mr. Rogers with tattoos. Like I love everybody and I want to help everybody. And, you know, I, I literally it, it really consider anybody meet, I meet like a friend. Um, but I think that just came from them imprinting in that way and even when I was doing the most wrong things to myself or others I still knew what was right I definitely knew um so I don't think it was that hard to come back because I just had a really good compass once I was out I was on the right path but to add to that would you say that in some way going through all of the the pain and the self-destructive nature of of addiction and having to cope with the loss of your father and, and, and the aftermath of that, would you say that helped for you to have empathy for these other kids that are struggling and as a byproduct, you know, become inspired to do this work? I think that has a lot to do with it, yeah. Like, I, I see a part of myself, my younger self in them, and I'm like, you are just so great now. Like, it, let's stay on a good path. Realize how awesome you are and don't, you know, let things get you down. Um, one of my best moments of this year was a, a young man. I think he's 16 because he always talks about my car. So I'm pretty sure he's 16. He definitely wants to own my car someday. Um, You're going to give it to him? I might. We'll see. I kind of like my car. But he, uh, he lost his father this year to gun violence. Um, and he didn't go to school for a week, but the day after, or, you know, the day after his 
dad got shot. He came to Mission Fit that day, and that was just so strong. And I could just see it. I it, not too much of an ego, but I just I felt like I just had to be there for him. And I felt at that very second I should probably tell him that I lost my dad too, and that I did not handle it well. And you know, I ended up in a good place, but it could have gone so south from there. So I just I felt it as a good teachable moment at an appropriate time. He was open. He was he was happy to be there and happy to see me. Um, but I just felt it so valuable to just, you know, not uh, interject or force my story on him, but just say, you know, I lost somebody too. It hurt really bad. I did not process it well. I just want you to know I'm, I'm here if you want to talk about it anytime or you can call me or whatever it may be. And that just, that felt good that he, it was the safe place like we were talking about. It's really powerful. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts, and this is what I thought of when I just kind of brought this up, but, you know, I've shared at, at drug rehabs before and, and even still weekly, I mean, share with people who are in recovery or still struggling with addiction. And uh, the, the last time I shared at an actual rehab, it was mostly late teens and people in their 20s, and it just came out of me, and... And I, I basically said, like, look, if if you choose to look at it this way, like, I think the journey you're going through, when you come out of it, you actually have an advantage over everyone else yeah. when trying to reenter the workforce or whatever, you know, they're trying to accomplish uh, by building their lives back together. Um, not only in the sense of ex ex experiencing pain and despair and, and then having the, the the capacity for empathy, but even just, like the hard work it takes to yeah. to to live through that and, and and to come out through that sure um and, and it seemed to resonate with them <coughs> i'm just kind of curious like e even in your journey has that made you feel more well equipped to take on this challenge of of being this director of a nonprofit which is a very challenging endeavor to it both is. keep it alive but also to support yourself yeah, and I have no qualifications to do that either. It's just I feel that's the job I need to do and the, that's the job that needs to be done. Um, yet being and coming out of addiction builds a kind of resiliency that you just you can't match. Like another thing is if you've truly hit rock bottom, what's scary after that? Like there's not much. Like I've done some of the worst stuff to myself. Of course, I'm being a little arrogant there. Something terrible could happen to a family member. That would definitely hurt me. Something bad could happen to me. But I've already done quite a lot to myself and it was pretty terrible and there's a chance I might not have survived it, but I did. So now these other things, you know, they don't seem that daunting. So it's just game time. Something else that I noticed through your story is... Uh how you approach others and how you would uh, opt to approach others. And it seems like you would do so with a lot of discipline and temperance for overstepping your boundaries. And it seems like you know how to approach many situations appropriately. Sure. Um, where do you think that comes from? I have a feeling that might be some of my dad's work just uh, learning how to listen to people. Like when I was a kid too, I used to just go to AA meetings and listen. And, you know, the, the ratio of mouth to ears is is uh, one to two. So definitely use the ears a little bit more. And I just, 
if you have, like I'm very much steered by values. So if you're steered by kindness and openness first, like you are going to, you know, make sure you're just not trampling all over somebody just to get your point across or just to help them perhaps. You might not be helping. Like that's a, that discipline's a good word for it because it can, unchecked, it can be ugly. Have you ever felt the urge to want to say something in a conversation or want to approach someone and when you do if you do which i imagine you do um what are some of the tools or kind of methods that you use to calm that back down wait for the right time if the right time even occurs uh i actually don't need to tell people that many things because of using the Socratic method as a tool. So if you ask questions, like, okay, like, so you, you know somebody is literally eating themselves to death or into pre-diabetic condition or whatever it may be, you just start to ask questions. You don't need to say, you don't need to do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Like, say, what are you doing now? And, and just talk about their, their current state. Are they okay with it? Are they... Do they understand the reality of the situation? Has it been ever explained? Has it ever been explained to them? Um, and by using questions, I can generally get people to get to where I wanted them to get to. Instead of telling them something, I've asked them questions. They now feel like they've come to the answer, and now we're both happy. Right. Yeah. As part of the discipline on the journey, it's really interesting in listening to the story and thinking back, uh, you decided in one moment with the compass being your dad there uh, and his reaction to what you were currently going through that you were just going to quit drugs cold turkey and this is discipline 101. I mean, this is like everything that has to do with discipline. But somehow in listening to the story and thinking back, you're one of the only people I've ever had the conversation with that I just couldn't see it being even like a possibility to ever relapse. Sure. Which is really interesting because it seems like from, from the AA or the NA uh, mentality, it's always keeping it in check. It's one day at a time right. and I'm, I'm dealing with this. And did you feel like you had supplemented with fitness and other things? And I know you've gone through some crazy uh, journeys on on the the fitness oh, journey, yeah. you know, of yeah. of uh, different things you've tried over the years of gaining weight and sure. what drinking a gallon of milk a day kind of thing, and that's yeah. all. It's all it's extreme. You have to stay extremely disciplined for that. Did you did you feel like you kind of swapped that stuff uh, for the drugs or for what you had currently been doing, and you just kept swapping things? But now you feel very in control. E- well, so a lot of the changes I did drugs because I couldn't handle my feelings and I didn't feel like I was, I was good enough. Like I, I did drugs for that reason. I did music probably because I didn't feel very confident and I wanted to find something to make me be more confident. I got into fitness because it empowered me and that probably came from a place of a hole that was there somewhere. So all these things up until just the past couple of years have always been to fill something else. But right now, I'm just fucking okay. Like, I'm good. Like, I do good things for people. And I don't need to be so harsh on myself. And I don't need to weigh 200 pounds and, and squat three days a week and drink a gallon of milk. And I don't need to do... 
you were know, so jacked though. I know. Do you miss kind it? Of fun, a little. You did post the picture more recently, Huge and you should. Arm. Should I or should I not go back to this sure. version? I look at you, and and all I can think of is the story of Sisyphus. Remember Sisyphus? Push the rock up the hill. Exactly. But yeah. I feel like you're the Sisyphus who took that rock to that damn hill. Oh, that's right. And you just kept pushing yeah. until that rock just decided to stop right. rolling back down that hill. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Sometimes. I mean, I've done a lot of things with my body that are awesome. Like, and, and there were still things to prove at that point. That's why I did them. And now it's actually a little harder to stay motivated because I'm like, I did it. I'm good. Right. <laughs> I pushed the rock up the yeah. hill. I'm good. When Justin was kind of teeing up that last question, you know, and it kind of seemed like this idea of, well, you were addicted to things in the past, so now, like, have your addictions kind of, like, transferred to something else? And and I think there is something to, you know, a theory of someone being prone to, you know, a, quote, addictive personality. But for me, I think it's more, you know, the addiction, quote, unquote, is 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 a means to an end. And so the question I wanted to have asked, and you kind of answered it, was, did you kind of work through those feelings that led to the drug addiction in the first place? Um, and I'm really glad the way you answered it and kind of alluding to that, well, the band served this other purpose or you being a musician served this other purpose of different insecurities. Yeah. Um, and I think it's so important for no matter what we do uh, to look under like the hood of the car and, and kind of try to develop insight into, well, why do I do this and why am I compelled to act in these ways. And I think it's, I think it's easy and cheap to just chalk it up to, oh, well, I have an addictive personality and that's just how I am instead of asking why. Right. You know, so, so I'm really, I was really impressed by the way that you answered that. Thank you. So what is the new, well, that's a bad way to frame it maybe, but it, Aside from being executive director, aside from running Mission Fit and being there every day, um, what is the current thing that you are immersed in if there is something else? So Mission Fit takes a lot of my time, and I love it. Like I very much get immersed in that. Uh, Besides that, it is relentless self-improvement and self-reflection, like just looking inside to make sure that these little demons are checked. They're not running around unchecked because I'm very capable of having that happen. Uh, within this past year, I started playing bass again because I I missed music. I stopped playing for a while. Um, I still had my basses and amps, but I just wasn't playing. I wasn't that excited about it. Um, and that was weird to me, but I just couldn't find the motivation to do it. So I, I decided to... Um, get a guitar and I was going to play metal and gypsy jazz because those are two things I wanted to learn on guitar mm-hmm. and I was so bad that within three weeks I was back to playing bass again because mm-hmm. I'm good you at it. You sold your guitar pretty fast. I did, yeah. Got rid of it. But Gypsy jazz I feel like is a hard genre oh, to, yeah, to, to really get like Django. It. Yeah, some Django. I'm, it's just so jaunty. I feel like it's <laughs> it's my spirit music. Some rhythm <laughs> The happy shit. stuff at least. I love that stuff. Yeah. It's my, some of my favorite music. The, the, to add to, to helping and answering Matt's question, you did say the other night over um, the wonderful Dave and Busters, yeah. uh, of which you and Jordan came to uh, to celebrate New Year's with us. You did say that you have felt like you've 
you've been telling the mission fit story and you fit into the mission fit story, but you were sure. more ready now than ever to start telling your story. Yeah. And I thought this was such an exciting time, place, medium I agree. for you to to really kickstart. I'm hoping this is the the kickstart. I hope so. To it sharing felt, and telling more of your journey. It felt amazing to just say some of the things I've never said to people. Like I'm not ashamed of them, but in the same way, uh, you know, just not, you just don't need to tell everybody your life story. You don't need to weigh them down with that. Like I'm, as you were asking me questions, I was already starting to giggle a little bit because I'm like, man, I'm going to have to tell them that my dad died, my house burned down to this and that and got addicted to drugs. And I just don't share that that often because it doesn't reflect so much on who I am today, but it's definitely why I am the way I am today. All those things. Well, sure. It, it had to create a foundation of, of your story. Yeah. And, and we, I think we needed to understand that to better understand why you are at the point you are at today. Possibly, and I think it does yeah. have, at least from an outsider perspective, I could see how those dots get connected over time. Uh, maybe there's some long space between the dots. Yeah. But, uh, but I can definitely see that. And I think if you, I'm a, I guess what I'm gathering from what Justin's saying is that maybe you've mentioned or he's mentioned to consider getting out there and sharing this with more people or speaking. And yeah. I would, I would um, highly recommend you do that because I think you would continue to help a lot of people. Sure. And that would be an amazing reason to share the story, even though that selfishly you might think that it's not a good thing to do. Yeah. I think unselfishly you would help more people than you may realize. That would be amazing. There are I mean, so many versions of you out there, and you yeah, know that. You, yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've you've come in contact, you've encountered people who've been pretty much on the same story, but they have yet to connect the dots. Right. And I feel like you could be the beacon that just helps them I mean, see, it, like, look, this is where it it can go. And if you're currently in a state of one of the places you've been in, say, yeah. say someone's heavily involved in drug usage and they're around the wrong people and it's toxic, a toxic environment, and all those kind of things, you can tell them that it does get better. Right. You know, you can you can provide that example. And I think sharing your story and your truth is is going to it's going to change people's lives. So that, yeah, and you already are doing that. So it's yeah. really just, you know, a whole different sect of people. Yeah. As we start to wrap this up, Jeff, um I'm curious, and I may have missed this while I was like hiding in my closet just like slowly dying and try not to make noise. Um what what it wait that that you were I thought you were in the bathroom. No, I went plugging. Into my, Jordan plugs one. Not, he never learned how to blow the nose with two nostrils. He plugs one <laughs> and blows as hard as he can. You say that as like I feel it slowly leaking out of the right <laughs> I thought that based on part of our conversation, you were in the bathroom looking at yourself in the mirror and being like, "I can get better. I feel I better. Feel I better. am better. I connected I dots. I do. I leave this conversation feeling more inspired." As well as more congested, believe it or not. <laughs> but, but are you saying to yourself, I feel great? Yes. And uh, I, it's burling Thoughts up. do become reality until reality kind of actually does its thing. Becomes your thoughts. Until and Mike it's will not, it's in. like slowly <laughs> burling I, I up even, you. Anyway, Jeff. Yes. What, uh, what, what do you see the potential of mission fit being? And, uh, and to second that, what, would you like to do to help create that? Sure. Uh, I see Mission Fit being more 
yeah, growing out in a way where the people we're reaching are not just the people of Baltimore, but the way we engage those people, they will be helping the people of Baltimore. Um, I see this happening in creating more content that is valuable to more people and getting people to tune into Mission Fit because they enjoy the content and then the monthly donation or the yearly donation doesn't even seem like a thing. Like they are already loving what we're doing for Baltimore's youth, but they also love what they do for us. Um, so I've been working on what that looks like, both on YouTube, Instagram, everything like that. And this is the year to ramp it up. Uh, just We're going to be hiring our second employee. Everybody else is volunteers. Um, and for me, the focus is on getting that content strong, but also training the coaches that I work with to be ready for when this breaks. Like, because I already, I can say, you know, I'm humble and really shy about a lot of things, but I am a, a good coach. I can say that very confidently because I try really fucking hard to be a good coach all the time. I continue to read. I continue to learn. I keep my white belt mentality and just continue asking questions and learning more. And because of that, uh, it's attracted some really good coaches who are then going to take on some of the work that I did and spread it bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what we're getting ready to do right now. So so if you had to boil that down to a, a goal, is, is the goal to um, essentially evangelize to other coaches who get behind the mission yeah. and therefore have those coaches educate others to bring them... Uh, into the mission fit world yeah. in places outside of Baltimore. Yes, and also to take yeah mission fit into places. So right now, being a single brick and mortar place, yep, we can only reach so many people there. It is that safe place. It's wonderful, but in order to reach more people, we're going to have to start branching out more. And at first, that was very overwhelming to me because in a, a somewhat arrogant thought pattern, I'm like. Well, gee, how can I do all these things? It's sure. Like, no, dummy. You don't do all the things. It's not about you. It's about empowering other people and having them continue the mission that I'm already doing. It doesn't have to be me. And that was a really good realization. So the goal is to create essentially a mission fit, quote unquote, program in yep. other locations, other gyms. Yeah. Satellite. Yeah. Satellite. We're, we're going to be in a Baltimore City school this upcoming year. Cool. Which I'm fired up about. It's been hard to get a good partner in a Baltimore City school because some are not in good shape to be a good partner right now. Like, it wouldn't... It's going to sound... If you don't live in, live in Baltimore, you might not understand, but there are... And this is uh, with full love and kindness. There are some impoverished areas that just lack so much in resources that the schools are not a healthy place for kids to be. That's yep. insane. Yep. So... It would not, in my opinion, be a good idea to step into that toxic scenario. So we we do have, we'd rather almost get those kids out of that toxic scenario into mission fit. But we're we're starting to to form some partnerships. Is there a just just because I'm really curious? Is there a, a specific location and deadline or number of locations that you're looking to get into? Like, is is it a specific number of schools? Sure. Or a specific number of gyms, and and do you currently have a, a time frame in which you're really gunning for? 
I'm nailing that down now. Like we're just coming out of of uh, 2017 into 2018, and ideas are starting to form. And this is where more stuff goes onto really big pieces of poster board, where I write down all the moving elements and all the moving pieces of mission fit. Who can do what? Like who we can do decentralized command to, and who can take stuff off of my plate as well as other people's plates. And then within this month, I'll have an idea of exactly, I can just look back at the numbers from 2017 and say, we worked with this amount of kids, this amount of kids were in the gym and we visited so-and-so amount and I just want it to be more. I'm happy with growth. Like uh, I was just listening to the How I Made This podcast with Yvonne Chouinard of Patagonia and he just talks about the businesses that grow the fastest are pretty much destined to fail. Like, they just can't keep up with their own growth. So, me personally, I'm, I am super impatient about this. Sorry if this is getting long-winded. But I'm super impatient about it because I just want to help more kids right now. But I just realized to do this right, we've just got to build the right protocols, the right partners, and let's just grow organically and let's not force anything, put ourselves into a bad scenario. So it's just more as of now. But right. as of right now, I need to crunch the numbers and see what more looks like. Yeah. So I can set that very accurate goal. Yeah, I'm excited to see what specifics you come up with for that. Yeah, I can share that. Because those things will, will be so cool when you... I always... I mean, for us, we have certain goals and, and numbers to reach. But I love when I've set these milestones or set a specific you know, quantification to something. Yeah on a deadline or a time frame and then you reach it and it's like the most empowering thing. Oh, yeah. And I could see you getting oh, like yeah. obsessed with that. I, I do. I def, I set goals last year and beat all of them in like six months. Yeah, so, that's that's the best. And it's, that's and, the best. But then for the next six months, I felt like I was floating a little bit. So I'm going to try and set them a little bit loftier and just yeah. get after it. Go one step or two steps further than yeah. you think is realistic and yeah. that's always the good I'm already thing. thinking about how Mission Fit is replicatable in other markets. Like it does not need to be just here. There's I would imagine it is Detroit. There's New York. There's there's a lot of different places where inner city youth are not being served. One with our brand of fitness and our expertise behind it, and two, our very values centric approach. Where I just think that could be big. It's really youth in general. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be city related just all. because that's the mission fit right. idea. But I I feel like and I know we've spoken about this at length yeah. where you could just take this on the road and that was then at the time when I think this was all materializing and that would have been you by yourself taking this right. on the road, which I think we all learned from playing in bands that as one person or as three, four, five members of a band, you can still only do so much. And sure. eventually to, to really expand vertically, you have to expand the team horizontally so that you can grow right. and not have all of it fall on your plate. But, yeah. but I definitely see uh, taking the exact protocol or very similar protocol of what you have developed and implemented here in Baltimore, and you could scale that and take it really anywhere. Yeah, totally. You could teach that to anyone yeah. to go do. Yeah, totally. Which is incredible. I think a big part of that, you alluded to it before, is the content that you're creating. And I even know you said you bought a new camera, yeah. some lenses recently for that. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that you know you are 
a good coach. And I want to just say you are an amazing content creator. Um, real quick, plug the Mission Fit Facebook and Instagram. Sure. Just so people can it's, follow. Uh, Facebook.com backslash Mission Fit Balt, B-A-L-T. And our Instagram is Mission Fit Balt. Twitter is also <laughs> Mission Fit Balt as well. So, so as, as listeners follow uh, along and see you specifically creating content, I think you are the most natural person I know at really like communicating yourself through that medium. I, I don't see that, but I appreciate it. I just you know speak truth, my truth at least. Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly it. That that's what it is, and that's very <laughs> difficult for for I'd I'd say most people. Yeah. Um, and your truth is 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 clearly very uh, uh, positive and engaging and enlightening and attractive. Uh, so I'd encourage everyone listening to this, including Tyson, uh, who's got so who's much been energy, moving around, who's been farting, crying. All episode. <laughs> uh, I'd encourage everyone to follow Mission Fit and. Uh, and even just watch Jeff as as a way to learn how to create content uh, with the purpose of of sharing a message yeah. and with the world. Yeah, and being yourself because I think the three of us do we do the intros and outros for the podcast oftentimes outside of this group being together, and we'll talk about how ridiculously complicated you can make it on yourself from messing up a few words to not feeling like you're really being yourself. Sure. And and I echo Jordan's sentiments that in watching you, it does feel extremely natural. Uh, it seems that it comes together very effortlessly, whether it is or not, it comes off that way. And, and it feels like you're getting the exact Jeff that you would get if you were to be hanging out with you in person. Well, that's, that's what Which I'm is looking great. to do is be the same that I'm here with you guys. I tend to, when I um, do some of the speaking stuff, I almost black out. I don't even really know what I'm saying. I Like the goal setting and gratitude workshop I did, like I have, I just blacked out for an hour and a half later. And then, you know, an hour and a half later, I'm like, okay, thank you. <laughs> but what yeah, great, you did, what, you, sorry, Justin, you did say that you guys had the, I guess, the grand reopening when you uh, oh, yeah. moved next door. and. Yeah. You know, so it was a nice gathering of, of diverse people who were supportive of both you and Mission Fit. And, and you had just a welcoming speech of sorts, but you said you'd get nervous before that. Totally. Which yeah. surprised me, especially being a performer who, who's used to being on stage. Yeah. It's because it's if it, it matters enough, I care about it. Like, I don't want to, to mess it up. It's that important to me. So live shows are the same. I would actually be nervous before live shows because it was that important to me. I knew I would do well, but I just wanted to really make sure. Well, I think we can all agree you always come through. Uh, you whether, you're pre- yeah, whether you're present or not. I, uh, two things. The One is a joke, but the other, you, you did share the goal-setting seminar, and this was a few years back, three, four years yeah. ago now. Yeah. And, and I still reference that often. Awesome. I mean, I use it all the time, whether, whether you're going A to B or A to Z or A not A. Right. I, that really resonated and really sucked. Yeah. And you've, you've only done a few seminars, but the seminars you've done, you've, you've chosen the material extremely well yeah. and you've presented them, whether you were present or not, in a way that I think a lot of people take extreme value from and then they quickly are able to add that into their life. So I hope so. 
thank you from from all of us who have attended these. Of course. Uh, and if anyone is in the Baltimore area, the next time you do one, we'll definitely promote it for you. Thank you. Um, but it actually, this reminds me of, you've seen the movie Old School. Of course. When Will Ferrell goes up to debate. You guys have seen this? And he just starts and... <laughs> Matt, you want to do it? Yeah, he just blacks out. He just he goes and he, just, he comes to at the end <laughs> yeah. and... He wins. Is that pretty, you? Pretty similar. Yeah. Okay. Jordan, it. have you seen that movie? Jordan's never seen a movie. No. <laughs> I'm I'm trying to pick the the best first movie to watch. Old school. We've been trying to get Jordan to watch. We, we Jeff was with us when we saw Hans Zimmer last uh, this past summer oh my God, or yeah. last summer now. Yeah. And uh, one of the suites that was played was the Gladiator Suite, of which Jordan still has not seen Gladiator. Yeah, and then you fucking like spoiled <laughs> the ending for me. Like, oh, I'm not even going to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it. Do you even know incident. what we told you? I do. And it was like really rude of you. Yeah, okay, but you still need to see it. Oh, my That's God. That's a Ridley Always Scott to go classic. To this shit. Yeah, Can well, we Jordan's- wrap this up professionally for once? <laughs> well, guys, in the, in the Facebook group, facebook.com slash chocolate croissants, or slash group slash chocolate croissants, rather, uh, please tell Jordan which great, greatest movie of all time to start with. He needs help. What's our what's the URL again? Facebook.com slash group slash chocolate croissants. Okay, just making sure. Yeah, yeah. So I think this brings us to our outro. Jeff, Jeffrey yes. with a G. That's right. Like the uh like the uh the Jeffrey the giraffe. The giraffe. Exactly. Like right. Yes. Yeah. I was yeah. go I was about to say like the dinosaur, but that was Barney. Right. Um Is there anything else you'd like to share before no. we wrap this up? No. I love you guys. Thank you very much for having me. We love you. Thank you for coming on. This was this was a treat for sure. Of course. Um, so as, as we as we shut this down, uh, Jeff, you were a three and a half uh, speaking directly into the microphone. <laughs> yeah. But a ten as a guest. I appreciate so it. Thank you for making the time for us tonight. Um, Matt, you're looking at me. Matt's thinking about the average of that, so you're like a seven. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're yeah. a hard 7.2. No, I just, I don't want Tyson to fart again, because then it'll It's just, bad. I know, here, it's so bad. I need to take him For, out. From the guy who's like, can we ever end this professionally? Right. Well, um, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to end it. Jeff, so you want to take it home? Out, you know? I don't even know. No, I, okay. I will not be the one to do that. I will not give it justice. Actually, so, what, are you guys, what are you guys pushing right now? I'll, I'll ask you, I'll interview you for a second. What, what do people need to know about? In general, tell me, tell us. No, they need to know. Uh, what we do they need the, to know about the podcast? What what yeah. what do people need to know to do at we, this point, Jordan? Yeah, we did. Well, we did this great end of the year. We had seven categories. Yeah, we're going to be posting them one a day. Today was day two. Yo, Matthew, Justin, you have to realize this that this is going to be out next week this, and it'll be over. I'm just saying. Well, when we're recording this currently, it's day two. <laughs> it will okay. be over by the time. So now, that's it. You can't. You can't join. Okay. Again. Sorry. So guys. Uh, if. If you consume your podcasts on your phone, like most of us do, I know I use the Apple's uh, podcast app, uh, then we would really be appreciative if you could go on and search for chocolate croissants. If you found us another way, you can click the subscribe button, uh, which is pretty easy to find. I think it's a purple button typically. Um, if you have a friend who has not subscribed yet, please take their phone and do it for them. Yes, yeah. we can we can do that, and we would encourage you to do that as well. If if you think the podcast has added value to your life and could add value to someone else's, um, if you want to go a step further and give us a rating or a review, we genuinely would like to know what 
your feelings are about your favorite episode, your least favorite episode, or the podcast as a whole. It definitely helps us to understand what kind of uh, value we are delivering, if any at all. Um, Aside from that, uh, we really are appreciative of everyone who has been continuously active in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. Uh, as Justin was saying, there has been some great uh, communication and interaction going on this week. So far, we are in the week prior to when this episode will be released, uh, but we're going to be actively working on new ways to engage with you guys to make sure that the conversation is always uh, going well, down yeah. and and flourishing, hopefully. And I don't, I don't know if you guys have looked, but we're over 1,500 members at this point, which is pretty amazing to think that we started with you know quite a, just a few i remember getting 100 was a big milestone and now we are 15 times that so thank you to everyone who has joined thank you to all the listeners who have been open to uh hearing us out week after week some episodes better than others uh all of our guests have been pretty amazing it's really us who have needed to try to improve and hopefully you see that improvement as we go so and thank you to road Rode Microphones, who have been with us since the beginning. R-O-D-E.com. Thank you to Rode Microphones. Um, and we'll be working with some new sponsors soon. Uh, we're actually going to be bringing Nata Tattoo back, uh, and we'll have some more content to share with you guys regarding uh, their premium tattoo care kits, which we think are actually pretty badass. So Jeff stay will tuned get you for one. that. Yeah, Please Jeff, do. you yeah. have some great tattoos, so yeah. we'll, we'll get you one of those. Uh, but Jordan, do you want to um, gracefully take us out as our... Uh, as our fearless closer. Bye-bye.